Ladies and gentlemen of the Ravens flock, my name is Christopher Linfont, bringing you another edition of the Nest Talk podcast, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the entire internet. Um, and today we have a great episode for you. It is episode 44 being recorded here on September um, 13th, Friday the 13th, actually, um, supposedly one of the most unlucky days on the calendar. Um, but of course, there is a Nest Talk podcast episode coming out today, so how on earth could it possibly be unlucky? Um, and the Ravens have had a pretty few good, you know, lucky days here um, since their win in Miami, which was, you know, not so much luck, but a complete devastation of the Miami Dolphins um, based on their skill level, which is, you know, pretty solid and pretty darn nice for them. Um, before we head right on into the episode here, I do want to talk a little bit about some housekeeping information, um, and that is, of course, where you can find us. Um, if you are listening either on iTunes or YouTube, make sure you subscribe. If you're subscribing on iTunes, um, all the podcasts will be downloaded to your um, iTunes library um, on your phone, your tablet, wherever you listen to your iTunes library automatically for you when um, each episode comes out, and that is a great tool for you. You don't have to go and look and keep refreshing your page if you're looking for the newest ep episode of Nest Talk. So make sure you do that. If you're listening on YouTube, subscribing there would be very helpful as well. You will get all the latest episodes in your um, in your subscription inbox there as well. Uh, make sure you rate us on both sites. That way we can um, get the feedback from the listeners we value so very much. Um, and of course, leave comments to tell us what you want to hear more about, maybe some different segments we can talk about. Um, moving on into the next week, I always like to incorporate um, listener suggestions into the show. Um, if you're looking to interact with us on Twitter, you can do that on um, at Be More Feather or at Nest Talk on Twitter. And and at Nest Talk is the, is the uh, podcast Twitter account. At Be More Feather is the Baltimore Feathers Twitter account. Of course, you can find me at Chris Linfont on Twitter as well. If you want to find us on Facebook, of all places, um, just search up The Baltimore Feather or The Nest Talk Podcast on Facebook, and you will um, be redirected to our pages there. And, you, of course, you can like us there and interact with us on there as well. Um, and, of course, I highly, highly, highly recommend you go to BaltimoreFeather.com, check out the latest and greatest Ravens news and opinion articles, and subscribe to our newsletter there if you subscribe to the newsletter all it takes is an email address, your email address, um, and every single new article will be published into um, that's published into the website. Of course, you will get in your email inbox right away when it comes out, which is very, very helpful to stay up to date with the latest Ravens news because, you know, you could wait till the ep episode of Nest Talk drops, but it's weekly. And if you're only getting your news from here, it could be a problem um, because you won't have the latest news as it's happening. But we, of course, try to make sure all the latest news is published on baltimorefeather.com. So again, check that out. And of course, go in there and type in your email address. You'll see it. As soon as you go in there, it'll it'll be on the side um, for the, for, the, um, for the newsletter. And of course, that helps us out communicating with you. Uh, and it helps you out by getting the latest Ravens news into your inbox uh, on the daily. And with that being said, let's head right into our news section of this week's episode of Nest Talk. Again, Nest Talk episode 44 being recorded. Uh, on this 13th of September, Friday the 13th of September. Um, and the first piece of news we have to go through is the Jimmy Smith injury situation. Longtime Ravens fans will know it is no surprise that Jimmy Smith has once again gotten injured. 
But of course, this time it's really, I mean, it's kind of a weird way he got injured because it wasn't, it should never have happened. It was never needed to happen, and it happened. Because look, I'm assuming you all watched the game against Miami, and if you didn't, well, that sucks to be you because you missed potentially the greatest Ravens performance in history. So Jimmy Smith is out there on defense, as he always is because he plays corner. Um, and he's a good corner for us, don't get me wrong. But he just can't stay on the field, whether it's injury, suspension, whatnot. Jimmy Smith can't seem to stay on the field. And in week one, we have another injury scare for Jimmy Smith. This time, he's he's walking on the field or running. I think he's going to make a tackle, and I don't remember which linebacker it was, but one of the linebackers comes up, tries to make the tackle, gets basically thrown up into the air, um, and his leg smashes straight into Jimmy Smith's knee and immediately upon that you see Jimmy Smith reach for the knee as soon as he goes down he just reaches for his knee and the trainers come out running um and that's a that that sign is no bueno right there not good uh because we all know Jimmy Smith's injury history I know it's most recently been his Achilles that's been bothering him you know in the, in the near the foot in the back of the foot um but knee problems are very very serious and Jimmy Smith I love me some Jimmy Smith, but the dude is made of peanut brittle. I'm sorry, because he just cannot stay on the field. He cannot stay healthy. And this is the problem for Jimmy Smith. Here he is in this week one matchup, and he gets hurt, has to leave the game, goes to the blue tent, goes to the locker room. He's hobbling off the field. I mean, no one knows. It could be a tear. It could be, you know, a fracture out for season kind of deal. No one knows. And they're not giving us any real information um, during the game. All we know is that Jimmy Smith won't return. He comes back out in, in, in like sweatpants and street clothes, so he's obviously not going back into the game. I mean, even if he was healthy, you wouldn't put him back in the, that game anyway because it was a 59-10 blowout. Um, I will never let that go over the Dolphins, a 59-10 blowout. Um, so, yeah, Jimmy Smith comes back out in, in street clothing. He's not going to play again. Um, the Ravens haven't told us what's wrong. We find out a couple days later basically that I think that was even that night, maybe that night or the next day, basically Jimmy Smith had some sort of knee injury on the play. Like, yeah, no duh, Sherlock. He got hit in the knee. Anyway, gets a knee injury. The Ravens want to figure out what it is. They're not going to specifically say what it is, but they're hoping it's going to be okay. Turns out it's an MCL sprain, not a tear, a sprain. Very important distinction. An MCL tear would have ended Jimmy Smith's season. An MCL sprain essentially keeps him out a few weeks, and that's it. And lucky for the Ravens, the Ravens have a very deep secondary. Of course, it's being tested here. Tavon Young lost for the year now. Now Jimmy Smith is out for a few weeks. Um, So you've got Brandon Carr and and Marlon Humphrey in there who are going to do great things. Anthony Averett's in there too. Um, but the Ravens might have to come up and, and basically take somebody off the practice squad, <laughs> Maurice Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, that, that was an ironic cough there. Um, Maurice Kennedy may be you know, given a roster spot here because of the depth situation at uh, cornerback with the Jimmy Smith being sidelined for the next few weeks. Um, and I wouldn't be opposed to that, although I, I, I don't really think Maurice Kennedy is going to help us out. Um, there was a cornerback, I, I'm blanking on his name, released by the Texans recently that some people – on Twitter and other places are suggesting that the Ravens go get, you'd have to pay him probably more than Maurice Kennedy. And if it's only going to be a few weeks before you get Jimmy Smith back, 
I don't really think it's worth spending any kind of money. Um, you know, maybe if you're really concerned about the health of Tavon Young long-term because this guy plays slot corner too, um, it's a possibility. But signing Tavon Young to that long-term extension, then going after this guy doesn't seem like something the Ravens would do or should do. Um, so, again, Jimmy Smith is going to miss only a few weeks here. And that's relatively good news because of his injury history, given the fact that Jimmy Smith can't ever stay on the field. You know, if he can't always stay on the field, it's better he's only gone a few weeks rather than months at a time. So we'll see when he returns. There's no set timetable, no set return date at this point. Um, we will update you with that information as it pours in eventually. Um, but moving on to more Ravens news, they did some rearranging on the practice squad. Some names that you might be surprised um, are off the practice squad. Guys that the Ravens thought had potential no longer going to spend time with the Ravens on this practice team. They brought in a couple guys whose names actually should be familiar to you. Um, but the first major release here is Sean Monster, the wide receiver. And Sean Monster had a lot of people thinking that he was going to be a very um, capable wide receiver, specifically in the slot. Um, but Monster, I mean, his preseason was okay. It was never um, something to parade around as, you know, like a Victor Cruz preseason, right? You know, when he had his amazing preseason that got him the job on the Giants and turned out to be a very good receiver until he got hurt. Um, that never happened with Sean Monster, although a lot of people considered Monster to be an option a slot cornerback in the future. The Ravens simply did not see the same thing there, and they put him on the practice squad, and now they've released him. And, and it did surprise me because I thought the Ravens would at least try to keep him around, but I get that they want to add more corner depth with Smith's injury and the possibility that they're going to have to pull up Kennedy. They want to have somebody also ready in case, well, what if Kennedy gets injured, right? So they, they end up signing Terrell Bonds. He's the guy that played with the Ravens over this preseason, um, if I remember correctly. Terrell Bonds, you know, he did okay. He was never very... Um, you know, amazing at cornerback. He, he was never somebody who I thought would have any ability to make the roster in the in the first place. But here he is now coming back to the Ravens in the form of the practice squad um, as Sean Monster has departed the practice squad. Uh, the Ravens also saw, uh, released, I'm sorry, released Donald Payne, the linebacker. He's a guy that a lot of people liked on special teams. A lot of people loved Donald Payne on special teams, um, but Payne simply did not have a path to the roster with Otero Alaka taking up a linebacker spot, interior uh, lineman. And then, of course, you've got Chris Board in there. Um, you have Kenny Young and, of course, the, the undisputed best inside linebacker on the team, Patrick Onwaso in there. Donald Payne didn't really have a path to the roster. He never really had that ability to get on this roster, and he is released here in the practice squad to make room for running back, running back Mark Thompson. And you might be thinking to yourself, why are they adding another running back? Well, I think, honestly, they're probably concerned that um, um, the other running back on the practice squad, whose name I am, I am really blanking on, and I honestly should remember it um, as I, I'm Googling it here now. Um, but the Ravens have a, 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 a um, running back on this team this practice team that they really like. But the problem is um, that, you know, I think a lot of other teams could look at, you know, this running back 
and say, wow, he could start for us. And I always talk about him too, which is really, really, really annoying that all of a sudden, uh, I can't remember his name. It's Delance Turner. I just looked it up. Delance Turner, a fantastic running back. Fantastic. I mean, he's not someone who's going to start for the Ravens simply because the Ravens have um, incredible depth at the running back position. They have Gus Edwards, who basically does what Delance Turner does. You know, as, as he's a downfield runner. He's a north-south guy. He's not going to hit the edges. He's the kind of runner that, that Gus Edwards um, and Mark Ingram are. Now, Delance Turner could find himself on a team by the end of this offseason. I'm, I'm not offseason. At the end of the season, I'm very convinced it's possible. He's a very good running back, just hasn't been able to get onto a team that's going to be able to keep him. The Ravens just have too much depth at the running back position, but they want him to stay on this practice squad, but they know it might not be realistic. Hence, that's why I'm thinking they bring in Mark Thompson. There are also reports, however, though, that Mark Thompson's coming in because Delance Turner was banged up for a little bit, and they want to make sure that um, the practice squad can have a running back to use um, in those situations, you know, prepping against the real Ravens team, um, showing packages and stuff. If they don't have a real running back, they wouldn't be able to do that. But then again, you know, they could have just used, you know, um, Justice Hill. Um, and I know they are they only have three running backs. They have carried four in the past. Um, but I don't think it's going to happen again anytime soon. But I do think this is a move, you know, and, and Mark, I'm getting ahead of myself. This is a move that I think is kind of made with the idea that, that, that Delance Turner could move on from, from the team. Mark Thompson, though, has spent time with the Ravens. If you remember, he was on the Ravens um, offseason roster a couple years ago, had a nice preseason, made the practice squad, now he's back with the practice squad again. Um, now, the other move, of course, the final move for the practice squad here is the Ravens have released Alvin Jones, the linebacker, with an injury settlement. And this is very disappointing because I always liked Alvin Jones as an inside linebacker. I knew he would probably you know, not make this team, towards the end of the preseason, but a practice squad, I was almost, I was, I'm pretty sure I predicted it, him to go to the practice squad, but here he is being cut from the practice squad because of an injury settlement issue. Um, what the injury was that the Ravens just needed to part ways with him over, I don't know what it was. I don't know that we will know what it is, um, but the Ravens decided to part ways with him like they did Kenneth Dixon. Kenneth Dixon got an injury settlement when they cut him. If you're injured and you get released, you have to be paid out um, because you are injured. You won't be able to make, um, I'm sorry, your chances of making another roster are very limited versus if you were healthy. So you have to be paid out a little bit. That's just how the way, you know, the world works. It's almost like a worker's comp, right? You get hurt on the job, you're going to be paid. Um, so he's, he's paid here. Um, Mr. Alvin Jones, but Alvin Jones, I always thought would, would be somebody who the Ravens liked long-term. I thought they did, but you know, if he's hurt and it's too much of the Ravens, they can't hold on to him forever. That's just the simple nature of the NFL, the unfortunate nature of the NFL, actually. Um, but that's all for the practice squad. Um, do I like these moves? I'm not so wild on losing Monster and Payne for Bonds and Thompson, um, Thompson's okay. Bonds, you know, I, I get the need with the cornerback position, but I mean, losing Sean Monster and Donald Payne, I guess they're a phone call away. I don't think anybody picked them up, but it is annoying, um, because both these guys I saw as developmental players long-term and, you know, developmental players don't always do anything, but I thought they would be able to maybe do something in the future. Um, 
but the Ravens basically don't have room for them at this point, so they had to move on. I mean, you only have 53 men on the roster, 10 men on the practice squad at any given time. You can't make too many sentimental moves in the NFL without regretting it, living to regret those sentimental moves. Um, So that's what the Ravens had to do here. They had to make moves best for the team, not for, you know, what they're hoping for in the future, what they know best for the team now and the future, not what might happen, what's most likely to happen is what they had to go after. Um, In other news, Torrey Smith retired. That's right, former Ravens wide receiver Torrey Smith, yes, that Torrey Smith, the Super Bowl hero himself, has finally called it quits from the NFL, and he actually spent time with the Ravens today. He came in and watched practice with with Steve Biscotti in his golf cart, um, which is very nice because Torrey Smith, obviously, I mean, if you know anything about Torrey Smith off the field, a tremendous man, um, does a lot for the community around Baltimore, um, big advocate, just a very overall great guy, and he always loved Baltimore. It just wasn't somewhere he could be for his entire NFL playing days. We understand that. I wish he stayed longer, but you know, Torrey Smith is, is one of the better Ravens players in history. I mean, he the Ravens have never really struck out at, at um, I'm sorry, they never really hit big at wide receiver, but Torrey Smith is the best guy I think they've drafted. Whether Marquise Brown or Miles Boykin surpasses him is, is going to be a different story, but for those four years there with Torrey Smith, and of course one of them being 2012, he was a very good receiver. He fit into the offense well. You know, Anquan Bolden was there for a while. Tight ends, I think Todd Heap was on. Was was Todd Heap still on the team when when Smith came in? I don't remember. But of course you had Dennis Pitta there too. Um, it just was an offense that kind of blended together. And Smith was a big part of it. He was the downfield threat guy. And he was a reliable receiver for, for Flacco. And he had some issues here and there, a few drops. But you go back, you watch that Patriots Monday night football game or Sunday night football, whatever it was, 2012, the day after Torrey Smith's brother died, okay? I mean, it's, a, it's, it's one of the most memorable moments in Ravens history. Absolutely incredible what Smith did um, with all that emotion brewing in him. Um, and, of course, his role in the Super Bowl will for, forever make him an important part of this team. And, of course, I think he plans to come back to Baltimore for a little bit and do some more here um, because it really is his home away from home now, Baltimore is. Uh, and he said in his retirement video that he always, you know, will have have Baltimore in his heart. His heart never left Baltimore, even though he left uh, for the 49ers after the 2014 season. Um he still has a, has, a, has, a, has a soft spot for Baltimore um, in his heart, and that's very nice. But just to recap Torrey Smith's incredible career, uh, I think it was four years for the Ravens, had, a, I think, 1,000-yard season in his last year, Super Bowl ring in Super Bowl 47. He moved on to the 49ers, had a couple years there. Then he ended up uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles, where he won another Super Bowl ring, spent, I think, last year and went a little bit of this year on the Carolina Panthers team for being released before the start of the season this year. Um, and, of course, there's always been talk, every time Torrey Smith's been a free agent, that he would maybe become a Baltimore Raven again, that he would maybe come back to the Ravens. But it never actually meant anything. I mean, I was in favor of it uh, at one point, but 
I mean, some people were even floating around this year. Wouldn't even make any sense because his quarterback's gone. If he went to Denver, it would make a lot more sense. But, you know, the quarterback he was accustomed to, the offense he was accustomed to, it no longer exists in Baltimore. Um, so that's why I think, you know, it, w- it wouldn't make sense for him to, to play one more year with the Ravens or something like that. It, it's probably best he retired at this point. He was starting to dwindle anyway. Um, but one heck of a career for Torrey Smith, and we're really happy, of course, that he uh, is able to retire with his health, with his mind still available to him. A lot of players don't get that opportunity. Um, but Torrey Smith will, as he walks away from football um, still at a young age. Um, of course, we do have to talk about some Ravens injuries before we head into the opinion, and of course, one other piece of news at the end of these injuries, so stay tuned for that. It's, it's the biggest news story of the week, I think. Um, but we have a few Ravens injuries to talk about. Obviously, we talked about Jimmy Smith. He he ain't going to play. He, he's not going to play this Sunday against the Cardinals uh, in one of the most anticipated matchups of the year with Terrell Suggs coming back. Um, he's not he's not going to play. No, no way, Jose. Harbaugh said it himself. Um, there are three other injuries I think we should pay attention to. You've got tight end Mark Andrews is injured. That's surprising because Mark Andrews is a tank. It's only his second year, but he was a tank last year, and now he's injured this year. Not really sure what the deal is, um, but um, we will find out eventually what Mark Andrews is going through. I I, I don't know, again, what it is right now. Um, Pernell McPhee was out, and Marquise Brown was out. I think Marquise Brown was out with a hip injury. These are guys who did not practice on Friday, actually. I think I forgot to mention that. These are guys who did not practice Friday. Mark Andrews, Pernell McPhee, Marquise Brown, Jimmy Smith. The important thing, in my opinion, to note about all of these injuries is that only one of them is expected not to play, and that's Jimmy Smith, because John Harbaugh came out today in his press conference and said, yeah, well, you know, Mark Andrews, Pernell McPhee, Marquise Brown, Jimmy Smith, they, they didn't play today in practice, but Jimmy's the only guy that's not going to play in the game. Which is really good because Mark Andrews went for 100 yards last week. Marquise Brown, 140 yards last week. Pernell McPhee, big impact in the passing attack, the pass rush. Um, Very good information here for the Baltimore Ravens that these guys are are expected to play. In fact, the entire team is expected to play, except for the guys that make an active, which Jimmy Smith will be one of. Um, Jimmy Smith is the only guy that's injured. Harbaugh said there are no new injuries. Um, so that's fantastic for the Baltimore Ravens. And again, I mean, this is Friday the 13th. It's supposed to be unlucky. This seems pretty lucky to me. This seems very lucky. The Ravens having a pretty good injury um, situation here. Even though these guys have not played, it seems more precautionary. Uh, and coming off that 59-10 win, you know, 59-10, not going to let it go. Uh, 59-10 win over the Miami Dolphins. You don't want to stress your players too much, especially when you are considered 13-point favorites. It was 13.5 points, I will have you know, against the Cardinals, but somebody decided to lower it to 13 points. I don't know what that was about. Um, So the Ravens will have all of these guys available to them on Sunday as long as nothing happens in between now and then, but I think... Don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that Friday was the last practice before the game. Um, So, yeah. Now, moving on into the most important, the absolute most important news story of the week. 
There, there is no other news story more important than this. This is the news that Ravens fans have been waiting for, for years. Okay, for years. In a tweet yesterday, the Ravens posted a video saying we're redecorating. The video contained Ravens legend Halodinata pumping the crowd up, and all of a sudden. He pulls out the shield. Yes, that shield. The shield they took off the middle of the field years ago. Okay? I think it was like 2013 maybe was the last year with it. 2014 maybe. They put the Ravens head on the middle of the field. It does not look as good as the shield. And now the shield is back. They officially announced it. This is the news that I have been waiting for for years. This is the news that Ravens fans have been waiting for for years. Everybody is excited over the shield. The absolute most important news of the day is the shield is back book it it's coming back you will see it if you're not in the stadium you're gonna miss out because it's the return of the shield i mean who cares if you know anything else happens it's the shield it's back if you're watching on tv you'll see it so if you're if you're just finding out now congratulations um because i'm sure you wanted it back too um but if you don't hear it until after the game, this podcast after the game, you will have had a pretty nice surprise for you uh, on the television when you see it. And, of course, you know, that shield was there for quite a long time. They took it out for whatever reason. I don't know. Put the Ravens head in there. It just doesn't look as good. It doesn't look as cool as that shield in the middle of the field. It's back. Um, so, yeah, fantastic news coming out of Baltimore. And, of course, that is our last news story of the day here. Um, now we're going to head into some of my opinionated sections here. And of course we have to talk about the complete beat down of the Miami Dolphins, um, in probably the best Ravens performance I've ever seen in my entire life. Okay. I've never seen anything like that before. 59 points. I was hoping that we had 60. They were in field goal range at the end of the game. They just kneeled it down because they didn't want to, you know, run up the score too much. But I was really hoping they would go for 60. I was also hoping they would let Nick Boyle score. Nick Boyle has been with the Ravens, what, since 2015 now? And he hasn't gotten a um, a touchdown at all? I mean, that's kind of that's pretty darn lame if you ask me. Um, I was really hoping they would probably that they would give him a touchdown. They didn't have the opportunity to get him a touchdown. But let me tell you this. There's some statistics we have to talk about. Lamar Jackson. Ready? Lamar passed um, seven, no, 17 completions, 20, 20 total passes, 17 completions for 324 yards, I believe, um, and a crazy five touchdowns five touchdowns in his first game of the season holy smokes did anybody see this coming because i certainly didn't i saw none of it coming i thought honestly i mean maybe i, I was the only one but i thought the ravens were going to struggle a little bit at first just because it's you know week one and the dolphins might score a touchdown to start the game and then they just pretty much demolished them throughout. I thought it would be a 28-10 to 10 deficit. I thought the offense would be serviceable, run the ball a lot. Lamar ran for like six yards the entire game. Six. The entire game. Where no one saw this coming. It doesn't make any sense. 
how did Lamar Jackson improve that much? And we'll talk about it. We'll talk about that after this segment. So I'm not going to go too far into it, but it surprised me. Um, Here's another stat for you. Mark Ingram, 14 carries, 107 yards, two touchdowns. Robert Griffin III, 6 for 6, 55 yards and a touchdown. Between those three players, those are three Heisman players right there. All three Heismans on this team scored. Three Heisman players on one team scoring. And not like, oh, they each scored once. Lamar Jackson, five touchdowns. Mark Ingram, two touchdowns. Robert Griffin III, a touchdown. That's eight touchdowns between the three Heisman winners. That's insane. And the Ravens did very well on the ground all day long. Um, Gus Edwards, you know, it, was, it wasn't a great game for him, but he was, you know, using shorter yards situations, um, ran for 17 attempts, 56 yards, 3.3, but I think they were always expecting him to run up the middle every time he went, um, you know, short yard situations. A few carries towards the end of the game probably brought down his, his average. I have to look specifically see um anthony levine yeah that anthony levine our strong safety ran for 60 yards if you didn't watch the game you'd be like what happened well i mean in a in a fit of brilliance the ravens decided hmm we're up like four touchdowns we have one yard to go on fourth and ten and fourth and one let's just run a fake punt they won't see it coming and obviously they wouldn't see it coming being down that much um and they Anthony Levine got the ball, ran straight up the middle, right up the middle, right through the defensive line, and just busted it for 60 yards. It was probably the most fun moment of the game, and he had more yards than some real running backs. I think he had more yards than, like, Nick Chubb. Um, Le'Veon Bell, I think he had more for a little while, at least. I think Le'Veon probably eclipsed him. But, I mean, it was insane. Marquise Brown, though. What? An insane moment for Marquise Brown. You know, when the Ravens went into the draft, they wanted to find a guy who could fit this offense as a wide receiver. Somebody who was going to be able to match Lamar Jackson's strengths. And when you looked at Marquise Brown, you thought to yourself, at least I thought to myself, how does he match the abilities of of a run-first quarterback who's going to throw short all the time. Because in my mind, that's what Lamar Jackson was. And I think that's what most people would basically say that they thought as well, heading into the draft, because Lamar Jackson definitely needed improvement. I mean, there's no question about it. But the Ravens were not afraid to bank on Lamar. Because, you know, they got a guy who's a downfield threat. I mean, yeah, he can do screens and maybe take them. But that's not his forte. His forte is going down the field, hauling in a football, and running past some poor safety assigned to cover him who can't keep up and running in for a touchdown. And, you know, he was hurt before the draft. He didn't run at the combine. No one really knew exactly how fast he was. We didn't have a metric for it. We didn't know if he was going to be able to connect well with Lamar. I don't think they got preseason time together at all. And here we are in the first game of the regular season. The Ravens decide, hey, let's dial up Marquise Brown a lot. And let's see what he can do. Because Marquise Brown's first two receptions 
were deep bombs for touchdowns. I mean, one of them was like a 15-yard pass that he took and ran with. The other was like a 40-yarder in the air that he took and ran with into the end zone. Finished the day four receptions for 147 yards with two touchdowns. If you had him starting in fantasy, congratulations because you probably won your won your game. I mean, it's incredible. Five targets too. Um, it wasn't a drop. It was a little bit high and far on on that pass. It was one of the like two passes Lamar couldn't connect on. One of them was dropped. I don't remember who dropped it. But there was a pass that was dropped um, that Lamar threw. Um, but everything that was catchable for Marquise Brown, he caught. Everything that he could take to the house, he took to the house. I mean, it was a flat-out domination performance by Marquise Brown. And I didn't see it coming. I don't think anybody saw it coming because no one knew what Marquise Brown was going to be able to do in this offense. For him to be a relatively good downfield target, a good downfield threat on a consistent basis, he was going to need Lamar Jackson to step up as a passer. And it happened, and that's the result. And it's insane because it's week one. It's against the Miami Dolphins. I know. But if that happens again, I will officially declare the Ravens finding for the first time in history, a wide receiver that was not a draft bust, that's not named Torrey Smith. For the first time in history, it looks like the Ravens, it looks like it right now. I mean, I'm almost ready to do it, but I don't want to just say automatically that it was amazing because, yeah, it is the Dolphins, right? When you talk about Lamar's performance against the Dolphins, it's different than talking about Marquise Brown's performance because you could make the argument that Marquise Brown just went up against bad corners and bad safeties who didn't know how to keep up with him. And that's how he got the separation. Lamar's toes were perfect regardless of the Dolphins. If it was tighter separation, if it was, you know, not tighter separation, tighter coverage, um, he would have done just fine as well. But, you know, Marquise Brown getting past those guys, maybe it was because of the Dolphins. We'll see a more accurate representation. Not this week because the Cardinals suck, let's be real. Um, their defense isn't very good on, on the secondary side, and we might see something similar. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll see a complete flip of what happened. Um, but when he plays against the Kansas City Chiefs, which doesn't have the best secondary in the world, but they have some good safeties, okay? You know, Honey Badger's over there now. We might see, you know, by then what a more complete Marquise Brown would look like. But if he continues this performance, it's going to be the hype train of the century because this is amazing. Um, and then, of course, you got Mark Andrews in here. Mark Andrews is a guy that we all know and love from last year, a fantastic receiving tight end. He's like Dennis Pitta and Todd Heap rolled into one, right? Third-round guy, which is amazing. It's amazing the Ravens got him in the third round. But they did. They drafted Hayden Hurst first, who had a pretty lackluster first year, but you can make the argument it was because he's injured. Hayden Hurst went for three three for 41 yards in this game. That's pretty good. Mark Andrews, eight receptions, 108 yards, a touchdown, and only on eight targets, too. All of them completed. That, that is a great, great game by Mark Andrews. Spectacular um game for him and you know last year he went for like 500 some yards I could totally see him eclipsing a thousand yards I could see the Ravens having 
two 1,000-yard receivers in, in Brown and Andrews by the end of the year. Honestly, I mean, Brown, who knows? I mean, it, it's so early, but the way the Ravens played in this Miami Dolphins game is, is incredible. It's really, I mean, a marvel of what Eric DaCosta is able to do, finding guys who can bring this team together. And, of course, some of these guys are holdovers from Ozzie Newsom. I get it. This is Eric DaCosta's first draft, but he hit big with Marquise Brown. I'm sure he had some influence with Mark Andrews. And, of course, now Miles Boykin had a nice game. Did anybody see that coming? I mean, it wasn't amazing. I think he had one catch, but it was a touchdown. A touchdown's a touchdown, no matter what. And the good thing about this play was that um, Lamar was being chased, and he drops back on his back foot and kind of just, like, slumps over to throw this ball, right? And you're thinking to yourself, oh, God, no, this is going to be terrible. And he threw a guy, I mean, he threw Miles Boykin open. Miles Boykin was running one way, staring right at him, just chucked it basically the opposite direction. And Miles Boykin stops in his track. The cornerback guarding him had no idea. He walks over and grabs the football. First of all, he threw Miles Boykin open, which is a trait of an elite quarterback. Yeah, elite. Number two, Miles Boykin adjusted to the football with perfect timing. That's a good combination there. I'm very excited to see what Miles Boykin can do in a, in a more expansive role in this offense. Um, but red zone target. It was in the red zone. That's what they want him to do, be a red zone target. And that's what he was able to do in this game. We'll see if he can do it again against the Cardinals, maybe score another touchdown, um, acting as his red zone threat. Um, some other numbers from this game that are important. Willie Snead caught a couple passes. One was a touchdown. Surprisingly, though, Willie Snead wasn't the number one receiver in this game. It was Marquise Brown. And then Mark Andrews, even though he's a tight end, had 108 yards. Um, Pat Ricard had a had a touchdown. <laughs> Pat Ricard had a touchdown, but Nick Boyle didn't, um, which is pretty funny. Uh, and then, of course, you know, it was only on a one-yard pass. Um, but then, of course, you got defensively here. Justin Bethel, hands, hats off to Justin Bethel and, and Brendan Trowick in this game. Special teams guys rocking it out, out there. Um, I think Trowick made a – I don't remember exactly what play it was. He made a good play on special teams. I think it was downing the ball at a a good yard line. And then Bethel comes in here um, and forces a fumble and recovers it. I'm sorry. No, he didn't force the fumble. It was a muff punt, but he recovers it. Great awareness by Bethel, and that's why they brought him in and paid him a couple million dollars to play Gunner is is plays like that. Um, Again, defensively here, though, Earl Thomas pick off return for 14 yards. That, I mean, that was in like, I don't know, one of the first few drives. Their first drive, actually. Ooh, I'm sorry. Their first drive ended in a pick by by Eric, uh, not Eric Weddle, the guy who replaced Eric Weddle, Earl Thomas. Um, so the hype train's exploding on that one. Uh, then, of course, you got Marlon Humphrey in here getting a pick as well towards the end of the game. Best young cornerback in the league. I keep saying it over and over and over again. Um, Anthony Averett had a good day with two pass deflections. Um, Brandon Carr with a pass deflection. Tony Jefferson, pass deflection. Chuck Clark, a pass deflection. Um, Patrick Unwaso, five tackles, an assist, a sack, a tackle for loss. Anthony Afford, four tackles. Matt Judon, three, a sack, two tackles for loss. Pernell McPhee got a sack. I mean, 
I know it's the Dolphins, and their their offense is, is complete trash in all honesty, and I don't mean to demean them because, I mean, they are purposely tanking. Why else would you go out and sign a guy named Tank Carradine if you're not tanking? I mean, checkmate Dolphins. But, you know, this is impressive for a defense that's missing a lot of pieces from last year. I mean, obviously, Eric Weddle, C.J. Mosley, Terrell Suggs, um, they're all gone. Zaria Smith is gone. The pass rush should be, like, completely ineffective, but you've got... Unwasso with a sack, Judon with a sack, and McPhee with a sack. Pernell McPhee. Yeah, that Pernell McPhee, who supposedly washed up, got a sack. And I know it's against the the Dolphins here, but these are NFL-caliber players, no matter how you slice it. And and the Ravens had a good pass rush against them. And it's, you know, it's encouraging. We'll see more of what it's like, what it will be like in the next couple of weeks against the, the Cardinals and the Kansas City Chiefs, which is the Chiefs game is going to be crazy. The Cardinals game they should win, but you never know. Um, but it should be a better matchup than the Dolphins, to say the least. I mean, it, it, we're not going to have another 59-10 game, that's for certain. And if we do have a 59-10 game, I think Lamar's going to win MVP at that point. But, I mean, this defense played very well. And, and, and you know, it got a lot of guys involved. Tyus Bowser had a tackle. Chris Board had a tackle. Um, Brandon Williams with two assist tackles. Um, just a very nice overall day. And, you know, Sam Cook had one punt on the day. Just one punt. That's amazing to me. The best punter in the league barely had to punt just once. And Justin Tucker had to make one field goal. And the, the Ravens didn't turn the ball over once either. They just kept scoring and scoring and scoring and scoring and scoring and scoring and scoring. A complete onslaught is what this game was. A complete onslaught, a complete domination of the Dolphins. And it's embarrassing for the Dolphins, in all honesty. It's very embarrassing for the Dolphins. Um, but for the Ravens, it's something you hang your hat on. Even though it is it's it is the Dolphins, the team that is supposed to lose basically every game this year. But... You dropped 59 points. Lamar Jackson had a perfect... He's the youngest player in history to have a perfect passer rating. And this is a good segue now because, you know, that's pretty much all we have to talk about with the Dolphins. Complete domination. Um, But Lamar Jackson had a perfect passer rating. Again, 17 of 20 for 324 yards and five touchdowns. No interceptions. Um, Lamar Jackson is proving me wrong. And I say that because if you followed my coverage of the Ravens of Lamar Jackson at least since the time before we drafted Lamar Jackson, I said publicly I thought Lamar Jackson could switch to wide receiver. All right, now hear me out. I said that because I didn't think he would ever have the accuracy to be an NFL quarterback. It's the Tim Tebow effect. You're not accurate in college. It's very rare to actually become an accurate passer in the NFL. It can happen. It just doesn't usually happen. With Lamar's skill set, I thought it might be that I thought he could be an elite wide receiver. The speed, the, the the build that he has, the size, he looked like a wide receiver. So I thought as long as he had some hands, he could be an elite wide receiver in this league. That was my interpretation. I mean, we've seen Braxton Miller switch. I mean, he didn't have the best of careers, but he had a decent one. I thought Lamar Jackson would have been much better. Um, then it came draft night. I said the Ravens should absolutely not draft Lamar Jackson. It would be a huge mistake. They draft Lamar Jackson. So then my position is basically, well, now we've got this guy. Give him three years behind Flacco, okay? Because that's what um, Bill Walsh did with Joe Namath and um, 
Steve Young. He put Steve Young behind Namath for like three or four years, and Steve Young became a Hall of Famer after that. Um, Steve Young before, if you don't know anything about Steve Young, was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback for a while, and he was absolutely terrible with the Buccaneers. Absolutely terrible. But in the Bill Walsh system, he succeeded. And it, and arguably, sitting behind Montana, even though there was some, you know, animosity between the... I don't know how much animosity, but from my understanding, there was a little bit of animosity at the time because he was obviously going to replace Montana at some point. Um, you know, it was a little bit of a strained relationship for a little bit, but they're fine now. They, they became friends anyway. That's not the point. The point is I thought that they could maybe do that with Lamar Jackson, basically keep training him over and over and over again until he was a perfect passer and then send him out there and dominate the league when Flacco was going to retire. That was my interpretation of what they were going to do. And maybe that's what they plan to do. In all honesty, it's very possible they plan to do that. Then, of course, though, um, Joe Flacco got hurt. And when Flacco got hurt, everything changed because now you had a situation. You were 4-5 and five because, I mean— the Ravens could have won that game against Pittsburgh. They lost in Flacco's final game. Um, but I think they lost it really because Flacco got hurt. And he got hurt in the first quarter. It may have been the first drive. I don't really remember. But I was at the game and I was watching. And he got hurt, kind of limping around for a little bit. I looked at him on the sideline and he was just walking back and forth, up and down with the trainer. And I was like, oh, no, that's not good. He stayed in the game. He probably should not have stayed in the game. Ended up on crutches, I think. And there are all these rumors flying around like, oh, he was spotted on crutches. And people were like, you're crazy. You're making stuff up. It turned out they weren't making stuff up because he was out for a while. And the team at that point didn't really say whether or not they're going to start Lamar. It's either going to be him or RG3. Uh, then they decided to start Lamar, and everybody's eyes were on Lamar, on the Heisman winner. You know, what's he going to do? And his game against the Cincinnati Bengals his first one, it wasn't very good. I mean, it was okay. He was serviceable. He dominated on the ground, but it was clear he wasn't ready to pass. And he never really was ready to pass at all last year. He had extra, extremely good moments. He had moments where he just lit up certain plays, especially to Mark Andrews. That was his big target. Um, but overall... He was not a very good passer, and it's really not that arguable. I mean, people will argue, you know, oh, you just, you know, you have this sort of agenda against Lamar Jackson because you don't consider him a good passer. I mean, maybe someone out there does, but in my view here, he wasn't a good passer because he didn't complete with precise, precise throws with, with accuracy over and over again. It wasn't happening. And then against the L.A. Chargers, he got demolished until they played, until they played what? Uh, prevent defense, which I could throw against prevent defense. It's just, you know, trying to run the clock on you. Um, you know, it, was a pr it wasn't a bad way to start your career at, by any mean. Um, but it left doubts in my mind that he was going to be able to pull this off. But last week, those doubts were erased. And I know it's week one. I know it's against the Dolphins, but I don't care it's against the Dolphins. That precision we didn't see in the preseason against against preseason players. We didn't see it out of him or any other Ravens quarterback. I mean, Trace McSorley had a great game against the Philadelphia Eagles, but Lamar looked amazing against these Dolphins. 
and we had never seen anything like this. And in small windows, even the Willie Snead touchdown was—I saw a stat, basically half a yard of separation. He nailed it. He nailed every throw, except for two. And when you're throwing 85%, who cares if you miss two? You're throwing 85%. 17 completions for 20 of them on 20 attempts. 324 yards, five touchdowns. He could have went for the NFL record seven if he stayed in the game. I'm convinced he would have gotten it. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And, and, and I always said about Lamar Jackson that I hoped he proved me wrong, that he would become a passer that would be able to dominate games. To lead a team into, you know, an offensive onslaught. To be a better passer than Flacco. He looked like a better passer than Flacco yesterday. And Flacco is, you know, he was a very good passer for the Ravens. 2009 to 2014, Flacco, I think, was one of the best quarterbacks in this game. Maybe more from, maybe the, the shorter window, 11 to 14. Flacco was one of the best quarterbacks in this game. Um, but Lamar had a performance that makes me think right now that he's the future of the franchise. He is the franchise right now. And he could, I think, at some point win MVP. I mean, maybe I'm going too crazy about this. But think about it. A guy who, who could easily rush for 1,000 yards on the ground, and if he throws like this, and I know I'm not talking just the numbers. I'm just talking about the way he threw the ball, the decisions he made, the way he threw the ball. Accuracy, the precision, it was all there. Every characteristic of an elite quarterback was on the field last Sunday. And now here we are in the fallout, in the in the week after, heading into the game against, you know, the game against the Cardinals with the understanding that he won't do this again. He's not going to throw five touchdowns. He's not going to complete 85% again. But he should have a good game, and he should be a, a stellar passer. And maybe he runs more this time. Maybe he doesn't. But the fact of the matter is, he right now, if as long so long as the way he threw the ball, not the amount of times he threw the ball, not the extremely dominant performance, but the precision and the accuracy he showed, if that stays, this is going to be one wild ride for the Baltimore Ravens because they found themselves a very good quarterback. And I... Look, I'm not going to apologize for what I said about Lamar Jackson, for what my belief was, because it was a completely valid position based on the evidence at hand. But he's proving me wrong, and I'm very happy about that. I am thrilled beyond belief because I, I really want him to succeed. I mean, you know, there's going to be people out there who don't want him to succeed because for whatever reason, I'm not going to put intent in their heart. But I very much want Lamar Jackson to be the quarterback of the future, to be what the Ravens need and to be the best him and it definitely looked like it was the best him last week and it, it just makes me very happy to see that from him honestly it, it really does um and of course you know segueing now into this final game uh not final game the final segment of this episode the game against the the Arizona Cardinals here we're only really going to talk about players to watch here on the Cardinals side today um and that'll that'll conclude our episode here Lamar Jackson's not going to go crazy against the Cardinals like he did the Dolphins. Maybe he has a three-touchdown day. He's not going to have a four- or five-touchdown day. If he does, then I'm going to start, campa- I'm going to start campaigning an MVP um, consideration for Mr. Jackson because that would be absolutely incredible. Um, 
But we've got three players I want to watch against the Dolphins here. Three Dol- not Dolphins, three Cardinals players I want to watch. Three of them. The first is going to be Kyler Murray. What is Kyler Murray going to actually do? He looked decent in the the game against the Lions last week. Arizona's game against Detroit. He was okay. He wasn't stellar. He was just flat out okay. Um, I think he had like 5.7 yards per attempt. Not that great in all honesty. Two touchdowns, one interception. Um, he, he will have to do better. But what are we going to see long-term out of him? The Ravens have been historically good against rookie quarterbacks. Every time they face a rookie quarterback, it just doesn't really ever end well for that rookie quarterback. So he's the first one to line up against the Ravens this year. And, you know, Wink Martindale is going to it's going to give him an onslaught of plays. He is not going to um, really let him have any opportunity to best the Ravens here and it's, it's really Wink Martindale's game against Kyler Murray here because the amount of blitzes he's probably going to do the amount of packages he's going to send out he's going to disguise his blitzes his coverages his everything he's going to make it as difficult as possible for a rookie quarterback to dissect you can get away with things that you couldn't get away with against Tom Brady against a rookie quarterback like Kyler Murray you know if you disguise it you know, one way, maybe Tom Brady could probably read it and be like, oh, I know what exactly what they're going to do. Kyler Murray doesn't have that experience yet. If you blitz Kyler Murray and disguise it at the same time, your coverage situation that is, disguising that, it's going to be very difficult for him really to to address the situation and to um, make a prediction and a decision for where the ball should go. Um now, does that mean Kyler Murray is guaranteed to struggle against the Ravens? Not at all. It's very possible Kyler Murray comes out and shows why he won the Heisman a couple years ago. Why he was picked number one overall. I mean, it's very possible, but I don't really think he will. I think the Ravens will best Kyler Murray here. I just don't see him able to go against this, this offense that, again, I mean, defense, defense, I'm sorry. Again, it's the number one defense from last year. It's the number one defense this year as well so far. I mean, they only let up 10 points against the Dolphins. So, um, But yeah, what is it, this defense going to do against Kyler Murray to confuse him, to make him not able to pick them apart? Um, I think the defense should have the upper hand here, but of course you never know. Another matchup you want to watch is going to be Larry Fitzgerald. What is, what is Fitzy going to do? Obviously, Fitzgerald here is, is nearing the end of his career. Um... But he's going to be Kyler Murray's number one target. You, you trust. I mean, if I was thrown into the situation and I had to just throw, throw a pass to anybody on the team, I would just throw it to Larry Fitzgerald because I trust him more than anybody else. I don't know if Kyler Murray would is the same as me, but I'm going to imagine he trusts Larry Fitzgerald more than anybody else on this team right now. Um, so what is he going to do against this Ravens secondary? That is going to be kind of weaker than it was against the Dolphins because you don't have Jimmy Smith. You're probably not going to pick up Maurice Kennedy here. And even if you did... It's Maurice Kennedy, okay? He's not the best corner in the game. He's not terrible, but he's not very good right now, at least. Um, you know, he, he's going to probably go against Marlon Humphrey. Um, it doesn't really matter if he went up against Brandon Carr either because I think Brandon Carr can do well against him. Um, and it's going to be an interesting matchup to watch if he is against Marlon um, because Marlon is, is really emerging as the best young corner in this game, maybe the best corner in this game. I don't know. Um 
but whether or not he can produce against Marlins is going to be interesting. Um, I think it'll probably be the offensive weapon of the the day, David Johnson. I don't know how much um, he'll be involved. I would imagine a lot. Um, but Larry Fitzgerald, I mean, it's Larry Fitzgerald. We have to watch out for him. And it's, it's interesting because I never – I am going to this game. I've never seen Larry Fitzgerald play, so that's going to be fun. Uh, and, of course, the final player to watch, Terrell Suggs. I, how could I go an entire episode without mentioning this? Terrell Suggs is coming back to Baltimore after leaving the Baltimore Ravens this past offseason, and it's going to be an emotional day for him. He told um, Ravens reporters that he'd be lying. Well, I'm paraphrasing here. I can't say it on air. He'd be lying if he said that this game – which is another one for him. He's coming back to Baltimore after leaving. He spent 16 years here, I think, since 2003 or five. I don't remember. But Terrell Suggs was here for a very, very long time. Um, and he's coming back to play against this Baltimore Ravens team, who most of these guys were his teammates last year. A whole lot of these guys have been teammates, not only last year, but for a very long time. And, of course, his coach... Harbaugh is going to be, you know, on the other side. It's going to be very emotional for Suggs. Um, I'm interested to see how the fans react if he, like, you know, gets a sack or something. Will they applaud him? Will they boo him? I would imagine they're going to applaud Suggs at some point in this game. Put something up on the Megatron, maybe. I don't know. Um, But it is going to be an emotional moment for him. Uh and really the entire stadium, I would imagine. It's going to be very interesting, and I'm glad I'm able to go to this game and witness this, um, really, because it's it's going to be a very interesting moment, very special moment. And I would imagine he comes back to the Ravens at some point to you know retire a Raven after 16 or 17 years. Um, it would be you know just what I think he's going to do. He always talked about being a Raven for life. So with that, we're going to conclude today's episode of Nest Talk. Pretty productive today. Um, on this hour-long episode of Nest Talk. Make sure you, again, um, subscribe on iTunes or YouTube or wherever you are listening to this. And, of course, rate us there to give us feedback. Comments are always welcome. Um, ideas for episodes as well. Make sure you give that to us. You can find us at, at Nest Talk on Twitter or at Be More Feather. You can find me at Chris Linfont. Search us up on Facebook, either The Baltimore Feather or Nest Talk on Facebook. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the Baltimore Feather newsletter on BaltimoreFeather.com for the latest and greatest Ravens news and opinion articles as soon as they come out straight to your inbox Um, so yeah this has been Chris Linfont here on Friday September 13th uh, episode 44 of Nest Talk I I am uh, signing out now and we will see you next Friday as we recap the Baltimore Ravens game against the Arizona Cardinals and look ahead to the game against Kansas City take care everybody